Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. Thank you so much for joining us this week. As always, I am Brian, with me are Vince and Zach. We're going to spoil some books, specifically the books released on the 29th of March, 2017, by DC Comics. So if you haven't read them yet, take a pause, read them. There's not that many this week, so it shouldn't take you that long. And then come back to the podcast. Um, Lord, forgive us, we're back on our bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's start with the Adam Strange Future Quest special. We're going to tackle first the four Hanna-Barbera DC crossover books this week. And we're going to talk about both the main stories and the uh, backups. And we're just going to go alphabetically here. So Adam Strange and Future Quest, uh, written by Mark Andreco and Jeff Parker, illustrated by Steve Lieber. What did you guys think of the main story in this issue? I liked it. I think, uh... This was maybe, of all of them, this might have been my favorite. I think it was my favorite, too, actually. Well, for one, it, it felt um, it had the most, I guess, quote-unquote, importance because it's actually, like, a continuation of the um, the Death of Hawkman mini, in a way. Yeah. It follows up on that. And it also felt really true to the Future Quest stories. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, I'm, I'm getting the feeling from his silence that Vince did not enjoy this issue. <laughs> it was fine. I, <laughs> hey, that's my line. <laughs> uh, um, it was fine. I mean, um, there, it, it was it was basically as rote as you could imagine a book like this would be like it didn't oh we'll take, get to rote yeah it didn't take any chances and it was basically adam strange shows up like temporarily forgets who he is slowly remembers who he is helps the future quest people out in a little skirmish and then is on his merry way i mean literally now, it wasn't like particularly entertaining. It wasn't the action wasn't particularly exciting. It wasn't like it wasn't very funny. Um, it was fine. Steve Lieber's art was nice. It's always nice to see Lieber. Yeah, um, I was gonna comment on his art being nice. Yeah, yeah, he's he's great. He's such a great. Uh, he's got such a great sense of style. Um, I'm I'm kind of surprised to hear you kind of down on this one i thought this one of all of them was probably i mean i think i think like all around like artistically i would say it's probably my favorite um i think i mean i guess it is a little rote but it kind of i think captures that like swashbuckling like classic feel of like you know old-time serials that i that i feel like is are very influential of both of these properties so I kind of like that. Yeah, that's I I think you're right. I think I think it does do that. Um but for me it didn't amount to anything all that interesting. Like I think what you say is true. I think I think it accomplished some of those things, but like didn't do anything beyond that. And I feel like I feel like I could trust like Jeff Parker and Steve Lieber to 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 deliver that in bare minimum 
at least every time, but I'm expecting more. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I guess I was expecting something a little more bombastic or a little more fun. I, I don't know. That, Have you I, been reading Future Quest? I read, like, the first couple issues, and I said, you know what? I'm going to come back to this when it's all over. I just... Okay, because I, I feel like it actually really fits the tone that that series has been delivering. Okay. Which has which has been far less bombastic than I would have presumed from all of the characters involved. I yeah. think I think it's been a slower book than I would have anticipated. And that's one of the reasons I don't love Future Quest as much as I hoped I would. You know, um, so I I guess while well, I understand what you're saying, I think that would be sort of. Uh, out of place. For yeah, what out of place for this for this iteration. Yeah, I will say yeah. I really liked the um, the bit of Adam Strange mistaking Birdman for Hawkman. <laughs> I liked yeah. that. I thought that was a nice touch. You know, I think overall this was this was this was fine to quote Zach um, and quote Vince quoting Zach. Um, <laughs> you know, it it was good. I, I'm also I'm I'm liking what DC is doing with Adam Strange right now. And I'm hoping this leads to more Adam Strange stuff. So, uh, you know, good on them for that. Um, sure. Can Can I just say that, um, you know, what you said about the 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 regular Future Quest book being less bombastic than you would expect? Uh-huh. That to me, that's actually them being far too uh, faithful to the actual Hanna Barbera cartoons. Agreed. Which were, which were always less exciting than you remember. And the, uh, you know, like the theme songs and credits were like the most exciting parts of those shows. So maybe, maybe they're being a little bit, maybe they're hewing a little too close to the uh, source material there. That's an excellent point, actually. And another thing, you brought up, uh, you brought up Birdman, and I just, I guess I want, I, I, <laughs> I would have loved like a sly reference to Harvey Birdman. You know, like I feel like. I feel like you can't do that character anymore without acknowledging that he spent three seasons on Adult Swim as a lawyer taking on cartoon cases, you know? Well, and I think if, if you can do Space Ghost without referencing him as like talk a talk show, show host, that makes... yeah. I know. I feel like they need to slip some of those references in there, and they're just not doing it. I'm looking yeah. for them, and it's they're, not They're happening. going, like, hard, faithful to, <laughs> you know, the original... Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I don't think that the DC or I don't I don't know if it's coming from DC or I think it's probably coming from Hanna Barbera. I think that they want to establish these characters as legitimate action characters again. And I think you're probably right. (laughs) And to me, that is just so wrongheaded because everybody has those kind of characters. Nobody has talk show host space ghost with them you <laughs> right. know go with what you got yeah i mean now what would be great is if like so the Hanna barbera line is already doing some pretty weird and interesting things we'll get um, to weird and interesting we'll get to, we'll get to that oh, but God. like i would love to see kind of like a young animal style line with these characters that kind of bridges the line between like the action hero and the talk show host, you know? Yeah. Like, I could totally yes. see a Space Ghost yes. book that's, like, semi-serious, but then it has, like, the Niles Calder interludes where it's, like, talk show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, something like that would be really fun. I love that idea. I See, and I think 
yeah, for future quests, they are hewing very closely to making them like traditional heroes. But if you look at every other book, it's almost as if that Space Ghost coast to coast style would fit in this line much better, you know? But I, I think it's interesting. They don't even have to go full bore, but I mean, just like a funny reference or two, you know. I, but, I just want a little fan service here. But see, I think that's the difference. I think that they are trying to move the Flintstones into the Space Ghost Coast to Coast era and move the, quote, superheroes into, like, regular superheroics. Sure. So Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, that kind of makes sense a, a little bit like when we first heard about future quest i think we were all kind of like excited to see at least i personally was like to kind of see this like how a shared universe like that would look or, or work and i think kind of like you guys i was a little underwhelmed with yeah. what we got but uh i mean i can see why they i mean shared superhero universes are like a license to print money these days so yeah. It's like <laughs> Yeah. So when they when they make the Future Quest movie down the road, I hope they get the uh the kind of lumpy guy in the Space Ghost uh, live action costume that used to run around in the uh <laughs> car, car, like the Cartoon Planet era yeah. of <laughs> That was always That'd be great. Yeah. All right. So but I mean, I I to be honest about these Hanna-Barbera crossovers in general, I wasn't. I mean, across the board, I'm was not really jazzed reading them. There was one that stood out to me that I that I really liked, um, but for the most part, they just kind of washed over me. So don't be surprised if I'm a little less enthused across the board than you guys are. I don't think any of us can be doing cartwheels over these books. No, um, I would say I, I would think that I'm the least enthused about all of these. I don't know. We, we might all. You're gonna have some competition from me, bud. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about this uh, Top Cat comic. First of all, this is, get, this is getting an ongoing, so let's just start there. Oh my all the backups are getting their own ongoings. Yeah. Uh, and I could not give less of a fuck about this book. <laughs> Top what, Cat? What was this? Like... This is this is Dan DiDio trying to do Howard the Duck. <laughs> oh, gosh. You're right. You know, you know what made me. I had to find my own enjoyment in this backup, and I and I found it in just realizing that Top Cat's story is Tim Allen's real life story. <laughs> <laughs> Top Cat's being a feline in Gotham City is like being a, a, a German in 1930 or whatever the fuck he said. Yeah, but he sells out like he's a criminal who sells out his buddies. Yep. He's Tim Allen. So that was my yeah. – that's where I found humor in this. Yeah, other than that, it's very strange. It's just nothing. It's literally nothing. Yeah. Bill Winslade, by the way, deserves so much more than to be drawing Top Cat. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> uh, and, of course, they had to bring everyone's favorite dysfunctional couple, Bat and Cat, into this. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> all right let's move right. on yeah uh booster gold and the flintstones this was my favorite i i half like this half i don't know 
I'm just really not a fan of this. Everybody loves these Flintstones comics. I'm just not the big of a fan of it. I liked um. But, 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 but sorry, before I go any further, uh, written by Mark yeah. Russell, illustrated by Rick Leonardi. My favorite part of this was um. The like blatant alien Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because, like, I don't know if either of you have read Mark Russell's, um, he, he did those two books, um, God is Disappointed in You and Apocrypha Now a few yeah. years ago. Yeah, I'm actually it's... looking at Apocrypha Now right now. It's on my desk. Yeah, so anytime he touches on religious things, it's usually pretty enjoyable, funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, this was okay for me. I'm happy to see Booster around, but I want to see Booster doing important things. Yeah. Or even just things that don't involve the Flintstones. <laughs> not not playing hand puppets with a, <laughs> a mutilated creature. Yeah. Vince, sell us on this. Well, I, I just think I, I like uh, Mark Russell so much as a writer. I think he's tremendously funny, and I think he brought... He didn't just bring that to the Flintstone side of things. He brought that to the Booster Gold side and almost spent more time with Booster than than he did, you know, with any of the Flintstones characters. And it made me think like give give Booster Gold to Mark Russell in the DCU oh, and please, let him go. Yes. Yeah, I mean like give him Justice League International. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yes. Yes, why not? And, uh, yeah, it would actually be funny for once. Um, but uh, I, I just love the way that he did Booster Gold as kind of like a – I mean, he's clearly a hero and a good guy, but he's sort of vain. Like, just, just a little vain in the way that, like, that certain type of hero is, you know? Yeah. Like, I see him as kind of like Simon Belmont from the old uh, Captain N, the Game Master cartoon, if anyone catches that <laughs> reference. Um, like write him that way. You know, I think, I think Mark Russell did a really nice job of giving him character and still making you like him. And, um, and, and also applying his like time jumping, like finding real comedy and like actual things that might happen to a character that's jumping from timeline to timeline, you know, um, I thought he did a really great job with that. And, and, it was the one book in this whole Hanna-Barbera crossover event that I felt um, did both halves justice and did a, did a little more on top of that. You know, it, it wasn't just two books coming together. It was it felt like a character plucked out of the DCU, brought there for a purpose, and it was fun and funny and it was kind of the total package. I mean, I'm still not doing backflips for this whole thing, but, but if, if, you know, if more books could have been like this, it would have been a more successful event. Sans I, the backup. I mean, I will agree that this had the best combination of the two properties coming together. But I think, although I think the Adam strange future quest was okay too. I, I guess my bigger problem with the other two books, I, I think these two are, are by far the class of the, of the week. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, I think Mark Russell is probably like one of the more underrated P 
people working at DC right now. Yeah. Should, I, I, I did want to... I, I did have something weird to point out. Do you guys have the digital copies open? Yeah. No. Zach, go to the first page of the Jetsons backup for you, for me. Okay. Upper right-hand corner. Do you see yeah, it? Do you I see do. some stuff there? Mm-hmm. Every one of these books that came out, every first page had a code that began with DCC. And I don't know why. That's weird. Yeah, it is. I don't know if it's like a printing error. I don't know what it was, but it's very it's the, the physical copies have them too. Um, very weird. Anyway, what? So, so this Jetsons backup, guys. Ooh, man, this is a this is a hot mess. <laughs> have you guys both watched the San Junipero episode of the Black Mirror? No, no. This is I, this is I, very very similar to that episode. Um, Let me just put it that way. This is I, I uh, it's a lot better than this. The San Junipero episode is beautiful. It's wonderful, yeah. but this is but the idea of like your consciousness living on after you die, essentially. Like okay, conceptually, this is fine. Is I it? I don't know. Like, well, no. Con- like conceptually, as like a as, like a concept, this is an interesting. This is fertile ground for science fiction. But like, wasn't Rosie it always kind of flirting with uh, George? Well, okay, so that's what I'm gonna like. This is fine. <laughs> it's not fine in the Jetsons, and it's okay. <laughs> and and like retconning. This is the retcon. That destroys all retcons. Like, you know, like I don't know if this is Secret Empire bad, but (laughs) I don't know what's worse. Cap was always a Nazi or Rosie was always (laughs) Grandma Jetson? Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. Written by Palmiati and Connor, illustrated by Pierre Brito, by the way. Which uh I do want to say I I did like the art. It's very European. Absolutely. Yeah, which I, I, I Pulled up the artist. Apparently, he's um, Arge- Argentinian. Okay. Or oh, okay. Yeah. I, th- 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 this is going to sound like I'm overpraising him, and I probably am, but I got, like, a, a Mobius vibe in parts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yo, yeah, same. I loved uh, George's uh, Kuwabara Pompadour yeah. <laughs> hair. It's like anime Pompadour. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was good. And, uh, and Palmiati and Connor managed to write a comic where, uh, only George Jetson was naked and not <laughs> all the rest of the characters. So, um, did it, it seemed like the whole time that they were kind of like misdirecting that they were going to kind of merge, uh, the grandma and, and uh, Judy and like merge their consciousness or whatever. Uh-huh. At least that's how I, I don't know. Not that like it's a particularly good twist, but that's kind of Yeah, I I guess what I thought they were going for. I kind of guessed from the start that it was going to be Rosie because she wasn't anywhere else to be I'll found. I see. I guess I'm just not my Jess and lore is a little lacking. <laughs> I forgot about her. Yeah, this is this is going to be a series, guys. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be a, a monthly comic that exists in the world. <laughs> uh, well, let's... Jane, stop this crazy thing. <laughs> Called love? Uh, 
uh, a so I married an axe murderer reference brings the podcast to a halt. Uh, okay, that brings us to Green Lantern Space Ghost. Has there ever been less soulful art in the history of comics than the art in this issue? I, I well, have any never up- been an Olivetti fan. No, no, but this is especially bad. I just... I'll, I'll tell you where I've enjoyed Olivetti's art. Um, when he did the... Oh, uh, Secret War, right? No. No, that was Gabriel Del, Delato. Delato, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Very similar, though, in my mind. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, no, I was going to say he did some of the art for the second war comic that DC put out in the new 52. Oh yeah. Um, Jedi combat. No. Yeah. Yes. Men of war was the first one. Jedi combat was second. Yeah. Jedi combat. So the dinosaur Island stuff. Yes. Now I think this art is fine for something that's like meant to be historical and like sort of dry. Like if it's meant to be dry, his art can look pretty um uh I can't I don't know what the word for it is, but like very appropriate, you know? Like I thought it was very appropriate for that GI combat because it kind of had this like it kind of had this like stoic historical feel, even though it had dinosaurs like running around. Um but when when you're trying to do like like space opera action Green Lantern stuff, it just comes off as so stiff and lifeless. I agree. Yeah, it was this was a slog to get through. And like there were moments where like I thought, okay, it's kinda trying to be funny, but those were like few and far between and I was looking for more humor in these books. Like that's what I want out of my Hanna Barbera books. And when when they didn't deliver, I, I just kind of feel like, what's the point? Agreed. Also, I guess so. All of these, like a lot of the Hanna Barbera books, are tackling like important social issues. So I think this one was what combating the the flat Earth truthers. <laughs> 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 Don't tell professional athletes. Take that NBA. Yeah. Um, it's just it's a bad comic. Yeah. Which is a shame because we're fans of of both James Tynan and I'd say we're Chris Sabella fans, right? I, I'd say so I certainly, mean, I, yes. And I just yeah, just like Give him a project that doesn't suck, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is just not a good project for... Anyone. I also just, just feel like this was a... Uh, even if this had Grant Morrison writing it, I feel like the art is just so stiff and so... so inappropriate for these two characters mm-hmm. that it just... no matter what, no matter what was scripted, it was going to look like shit. Well, but doesn't I, I feel like they did this choice because didn't Ariel Olivetti do a Space Ghost book a few like back in the early two thousands or something? Yeah, was it Joe Casey or Joe Kelly? Sure. One of the two Joe Kelly. Let's see. Yeah, Joe Kelly. Yeah. 
I remember. I rem- What year was that? I remember buying that comic, and and I, even at that time, thinking like, I hope they slip some Space Ghost Coast to Coast jokes into this, and it was one hundred percent straight laced. Looks like it was two thousand four. Oh yeah, I was still in high school. It was so boring. <laughs> that's a really that's a really boring miniseries. Let's let's briefly, and I do mean briefly, touch on the rough and ready backup by Howard Chaykin. Oh. oh God! So wait, is this going to be an ongoing too? I believe it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Remember when I said uh, Midnighter and Apollo had the raunchiest joke I've ever seen in a DC comic? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think I think this outdid it a couple times. There's the one that's really uh that that uh Jaken will tell you at a show. But he won't tell you uh you what you couldn't print. Really? You what see that? does happen if your donkey eats my rooster? Yeah. Does anybody know? Um I mean I can well, guess. In some states that's a isn't that a felony? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh I don't see why, but uh, <laughs> uh, um, so does does anybody want to see a book about struggling comedian animals telling bad sex jokes? No, especially not if they're not even original jokes. Yeah, I. Uh, uh, okay, I'm I'm going to be the resident prude here, <laughs> even though I'm anything but in real life. But, like, I like the slightly more mature, uh, edgy take on some of these Hanna-Barbera characters. At least the idea of it. You know, Scooby didn't work in practice. I like Flintstones a lot. Um, I, I, I mean, like you, that have that wake, you have that wacky Raceland tattoo. So. Uh, yeah. Oh, man, I forgot that existed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it in concept. But, again, this is just yet another one where it's like, Okay, I could take like edgy versions of this. I mean, we'll talk about it when it comes to Snagglepuss, but uh, rough and ready telling animal sex jokes is just like, oh, that's rough. Like some some of them are just and like, ready. Yeah, right. And they're old. They're old jokes too. They're like there's one that's completely lifted from something else. Oh, th- several of them are. Which, Sever- there, several there was of- one. Which one was it? Oh, I'll find it. Yeah. Se- several, I mean, most of them are old jokes. Right. Um, but, like, I, at first I thought it was like, all right, they're going into, they're going to show us, like, an animal version of the comedian who was who first said that joke. So, like, you see Ricky and Lucy, and there's that one. But then there's a bunch of other ones where, like, the, the joke has nothing to do with the with the person they're showing you know what i mean it was, right. it was a weird decision to change that halfway through yeah i this was very much um what it's weird this was this was a lot like uh oh it, sorry Sat, satellite sam that book with matt fraction that yes he did. yeah no. it, it was when they took a fucking mitch hedberg joke and put it on like a large-breasted singer lady yeah 
what was the joke again? The escalators never break down, they just turn into stairs. Yeah, exactly. That's like oh. a very famous Mitch Hedberg joke. It's one of his most famous, you know. I would argue it's his most famous joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. It's yeah. You know you know what Mitch Hedberg joke I like? Which one is that? Uh somebody once asked me if I wanted a frozen banana and I said no, but I want a regular banana later. So yes. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I like Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. Um but yeah, just just garbage. Yeah. Just At garbage. least we didn't get um animals growing uh genitals and and having sex with one another a la Black Kiss. <laughs> Did you ever read his Black Kiss? No, and I'm gonna keep it that way. It's um, it's the dirtiest comic I've ever seen a mainstream publisher publish. <laughs> well, yeah. that, that brings us to the sequential classic Suicide Squad, The Banana Splits. <laughs> um, I, this is maybe the best Suicide Squad book I've read in a long time. That, yes. is, that is true. <laughs> yes, I was just going to say... If if the Suicide Squad was this much fun, always I would read that book. I actually I think that this might have been not the best book, but the most entertaining one. I can I can get behind that. Yeah, I don't I don't think it was very good, but I liked the tone that it struck. You know. Yeah, agree. It was kind it was kind of the inverse of. Uh, uh, the Adam Strange one, where whereas I think that that's a very com- that's a competent book that told its story well, and it ended up just being dry and, and a little boring for me. Whereas this, I don't know how competent it was from like a storytelling, getting me to care thing, but I did adore the art style and the tone. Yeah, well, a part of that is well, let me just say, written by Tony Bedard, illustrated by Ben Caldwell. Part of that is Ben Caldwell. Yeah, I mean that guy just does really really good work. Um this is this is way better looking than it had any business to be. Yeah. This one had a pretty <laughs> dirty joke in it too. I feel like. What was that? I I the finger? I, oh um, yeah. <laughs> How Harley had had the dog smell her finger cuz it smelled like Rick. Yeah. Good boy. I don't know why everybody's what does that obsessed. Mean, guys, yeah, it's it means butt stuff. Oh, <laughs> it means butt stuff. Um, it's my where's my uh, air horn? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know why everybody loves the idea of Harley Quinn and Rick Flag being a thing. <laughs> I feel like this is just like, all right. The fans wouldn't let us have uh, Wonder Woman and Superman, so uh, we're going to give them Harley and Rick Flag, and they're going to like it. What's the zealist version of Superman and Wonder Woman? <laughs> oh. What are you talking about? Harley's part of the Trinity now. Oh, she's, oh. she's the fourth leg of the Trinity. Oh. Just one of the dumbest sentences ever said out loud. <laughs> Just put it up there. I feel like I feel like the fourth leg of the Trinity would be a sex joke from uh, Palmiotti and Connor Harley Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Oh, 
but yeah this this the tone of this book is what a suicide squad book should be i think in 2017 yeah oh boy oh boy oh boy oh boy Instead of the regular Suicide Squad book that we're getting where everyone just screams at one another at the top of their lungs all the time. You still haven't seen the movie, have you? <laughs> no. You uh, haven't? I oh, haven't. No. Oh. One day we need to Mystery Science three theater that. <laughs> yeah. If we ever launch our, our, our much discussed Patreon, that'll be one of the exclusives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If anybody give us some feedback if anybody wants to you know, hear us do that while having to kick us some money <laughs> for for our suffering. Yeah, we'd probably get a lawsuit. Uh, <laughs> as long as we didn't include any of the audio in the, we would have to set it up like a tra- like like what Riff Tracks does, where essentially you just say, "Okay, right, we're gonna start now. We're starting the movie in three, two, one, and then you just have to listen as you watch gotcha. the movie, and you're fine." That would work. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. So yeah, before we do that though, we have to talk about the Snagglepuss comic. Oh, that that is glorious. I liked that. I didn't bit. hate it. It's definitely the best of the backups. It's the best of the backups, and it's again, it's Mark Russell aiming aiming higher than he has any business aiming with this character, you know? I mean, <laughs> really, really, like, like turning fair. him into a, into a gay playwright being investigated by the uh, House Un-American Activities Committee, and, like, he was very funny in the, in the issue. He was somewhat profound at moments, you Depressingly know? Depressingly droll. Yes. Can you, can you yeah. do the fire, fire quote for me? Uh, on, <laughs> hold on, I gotta pull. I gotta, I gotta pull it up. Talk amongst yourselves. Um, I will say that this is the ongoing series that interests me the most of the backups, but I don't think I thought it felt very rushed in parts. But that's that's the downside yeah, of doing I mean, anything this short, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think this could be like this is definitely the. The spiritual successor to Flintstones. All right, here we go. Heavens to Murgatroyd! Fire! Fire! The whole place is on fire! In flames, even! <laughs> I feel like your, your Snagglepuss has a, has a tiny bit of Jewish in him. Oh, <laughs> Hello. And I just I I really appreciate that choice. <laughs> I'm, I'm going you're on a prank show called Too Much yeah. Tuna even. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you have fucking memento disease. <laughs> All right. You're on a show called Too Much Tuna whether you like it or not. <laughs> pranked uh, you but good. What'd you say? We pranked you but good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let's just take a step back here for a second, and let's let's look at this as a as an experiment over the last you know the last couple of years of DC trying to bring 
Hanna Barbera into their, you know, into their books. This seems like the most. I mean, this doesn't seem like this is the most like blatant attempt to do that. Do you guys think that there's any uh, value in doing this ever again and in merging these two properties, or is this is this uh, an experiment best left by itself? Um, I don't want to read any more of these. <laughs> Yeah, that's maybe the best way of saying it. Um, I think it's something you can do every few years, you know? I mean, it's no different than... It should It should be treated no differently than the way that there's a Scooby-Doo team-up book that goes on where they team up with various DC characters, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I see no reason why they shouldn't do this from time to time just because... There is somebody who's into this, you know, but, you know, again, like what's, you know, what's the harm in one week? You know, this is a, this was a one week thing and it was an off week. It was that fifth week of the month, you know? Yeah. So I feel like when, if you have an opportunity to do something like that, that you otherwise wouldn't have, I mean, these fifth week, these fifth week, uh, DC type things, they're usually pretty light, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think it's a fine experiment. And, and even if you only get one comic that you really like out of the whole thing, it's, you know, somebody out there is enjoying it. Somebody out there really dug the Green Lantern Space Ghost issue. So, you know. Chris Sabella's mom. <laughs> God. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody liking that book. Sorry. Anyway, uh, let's talk about the two annuals that happened this week. We had the Batgirl annual and the Titans annual. And before we get into the Batgirl annual, I have a question for you guys. We had heard, I think, more through rumor that this was going to be the beginning of the search for Saturn Girl. I don't even think it was rumor. It was like solicitation text combined with actually no, I think it was the solicitation text. But wasn't it like didn't but didn't Rich Johnston put it together and then was talking about it or somebody I remember there being numerous articles about it. Let me let me pull up the solicits cuz I'm pretty sure it was like in the solicit that they were going to Arkham oh uh, to yeah, to Arkham. Going to Arkham to uh and then the fact that Supergirl was in the issue tied in with the editor's note and justice league versus suicide squad about um the saturn girl emerald emperor empress stuff following up and supergirl i don't know it all just kind of like maybe i mean it probably was the rich article but i think like just kind of like i mean even even if rich hadn't said that just looking at the the solicitation and seeing that supergirl was in it and knowing that they were going to arkham would have made me think Saturn Girl. Yeah, agreed. Leaving that aside, I really enjoyed this team up. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It, yes, they are awesome together. And I gotta say, I I love a. Uh, I I think Steve Orlando is doing an increasingly good job of writing 
uh, Kara, but I ha- I enjoyed her using a little bit more uh, informal vernacular in this issue. Yes. Like well, we we should say by the way, written by Hope Larson, illustrated by Inaki Miranda. Yeah, and her 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 dialogue is a little bit looser, a little more youthful. Um, it feels like she's been around high schoolers for a while, you know. I guess. Yeah, agreed. They they bounced off of one another um, in a really enjoyable way. Any other comments about the main story? Um. I was disappointed that I wasn't Saturn Girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I want more. I want more of them teaming up, which it looks like we're getting. So. um, Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, What about the uh, the the second story in the annual, which was the? uh, It took place. I guess was it before this current Batgirl series started. Yeah, it almost is like coming off the back of the uh, uh, Cameron Stewart. Uh, yeah. May I give you my theory on that? It was it was <laughs> I, written back then. I think this was a story from the uh, New Talent Workshop. Oh. Because uh, it was written by... Um, Vita, Vita Ayala, who, who was part of that original group. Yep. And so I think that this might have been a script that came from there. That makes sense. And this is right about the length of a story from that new talent uh, showcase book. Sure. Well, this was this story was better than almost anything in that new talent showcase. Oh, it was absolutely better than anything in that, yeah. Um. I actually I, I liked it quite a bit. I thought it was um, it was a nice twist on the whole. Uh, I got to keep my secret identity secret, but also still fight solve this crime, you know? Right. And like actually taking the care her friend along, um, while she's trying to figure out how to how to solve this problem and can't turn into Batgirl. Uh, Threw a nice little wrench in there that that uh, you know most writers find an easier way out of it, you know. Right. But I I appreciated the work that that uh, Vita did to make that really interesting and engaging, and you know as plausible as a superhero story. Yeah. Can be in that sort of way. And Eleonora Carlini's art was very nice too. Yeah. I really enjoyed this. I wonder if it's any coincidence that there are so many creators who are doing fun stuff with Batgirl lately. I don't know. They're they're all they're all sort of building off of that um, template from the Burnside Batgirl, right? And, and and everybody's kind of running, taking that ball and running with it, and it really works. We'll talk more about Batgirl in the back half of the show. Uh, anything else to add about the annual? I don't think so. Zach, anything? No, I don't think so. Okay, that brings us to Titans Annual number one, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Minkyu Young, 
And uh, I really like this annual, guys. Um, yeah, I did too. The art was really good. Um, the Justice League were all pretty douchey. Yeah, but I, but I, but I kind of liked how that was played. Yeah, I did too. Um, I think yeah, it's... So let's go into that a little bit. Like, Wonder Woman especially didn't want to didn't want to trust anyone, and uh, uh, you yeah, know, that was were... a really like paranoid <laughs> t- like just right off the bat, like. Yeah. All right, which one of us isn't real? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which but I guess then, when, then it... if you've been through as many things as they have, you know. That's true, yeah. But I, but I thought it was like a good, like the Justice League here is very much the New 52 and the Titans are Rebirth. Yes. Great way yeah. to put it, Zach. That's, that's really, yeah. Nicely done. Yeah. And I, I like how... I think how the the Barry Wally stuff like supersedes all of that. Like they're still they love each other very much without any restrictions. You know, like yeah. they they were just they were on board. And Bruce and Dick, while they were maybe bickering at times, Bruce never dropped the respect he had for Dick. And Dick is the person who impresses everybody throughout the book. Like Wonder Woman says at one point, like, your protege is very smart. You know, um, and I love seeing Dick being respected as one of the most important characters in DC. But you guys know that about me, so. Yeah. Well, Barry is like the one who has, you know, literally seen the light here and, and knows a bit of, you know, what's going on behind the curtain. Or he has like an idea that things aren't quite right. So. Yeah. It makes sense. It's nice to see that follow up, that followed up on. Anytime that Barry and Wally are together, it's good. And as I've said any number of times, anytime the Titans is not drawn by Britt Booth is a reason for celebration. It's yes, uncanny. and this was a this was very good art. Yeah. What was it's that? Un, uh, it's, un, it's it's uncanny how like as a rule all the non Brett Booth issues are really good. <laughs> yeah. And all the Brett Booth issues are varying degrees of eh. Yeah. Yeah. Um obviously the key is not the most interesting villain of all time, but it worked here. I thought he was really uh fun. I thought he was really fun as like a mustache twirling villain. Yeah. But yeah. Um now this, of course, begs the question, you know, Wally West was at the, the heart of the DC Universe Rebirth issue. And that was the, you know, we know that Barry is at the heart of the button starting in less than a month. And, you know, so f- flashes are, are big deals in Rebirth. Do we think that the key is working with, like, Dr. Manhattan here or with another Watchmen character? I swear I've seen that door depicted elsewhere in the in DC comics. In Rebirth? Not in Rebirth. But like maybe a long time ago, unless I'm unless I'm merely thinking of the Twilight Zone opening credits. <laughs> I swear I've seen that somewhere. But I c- 
couldn't tell you where and and whether that would give a clue or not as to what's going on but i i'm of two minds here one is like obvious i think obviously i think you know you go to rebirth and you go to watchmen but do you remember i think it was that issue of justice league i think it was 51 or 52 that abnett did that was kind of like a lead-in to titans yes and there was that kind of mystery villain pulling the strings behind the scenes that I don't yep. think was, was that. I don't think that was abracadabra. Was it? I I'm thought, not sure. I think I it might've been, thought, I would have thought that it was meant to be, but, but my memory could be, you know, betraying me. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Well, I, the only thing is like Abnett, I think on Twitter or something said that like this issue was very important. Yes, he did for the series and so i don't know if it's like playing the long game of of titans or playing the long game of rebirth you know yeah hmm. here i'm gonna pull up that justice league issue yeah you you do that and let us know um speaking of long game i really love across the books how dc's been been making it clear that well, the Justice League has been together for a while now, and they're definitely closer. They have only recently started feeling like friends, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and I hope, my hope is that after two years, they're really going to be like, they're really going to have that like strong friendship and trust bond, and it's going to be evident, and we're not going to spend, you know, the next five to ten years with them still being like, the grumpy people that don't trust one another necessarily. Yeah. Um, like, I, like I hope, I hope this is a nice arc that ends at a certain point, you know, and moves on to the next thing. What's really interesting is um, I just reviewed for the site this week, the funeral for a friend crossover that happens right after the death of Superman for my evergreen review is the sort of this middle period between Superman's death and the four Superman showing up. And this is when Dan Jurgens was writing Justice League America, and I couldn't believe how the team like was talking to the, talking to each other like they never hung out ever. <laughs> there was so much like awkward, stilted conversation, and it got me thinking like, have we just invented this narrative of the Justice League being friends? No. Or was that like a very much like a two thousands thing? It's not well. I think. I think for me, primarily, it's the animated series, the various animated series. Okay. Like, to me, um, I'm probably pulling a lot of that from Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, um, Young Justice, you know? And see, for me, my first experience with all that was Super Friends, where, like, in the name... They're literally friends. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and and and... My problem is that, in reality, I've read a lot of DC Comics in my life. I haven't actually read a lot of Justice League comics where the Justice League team was actually made up by the principal character. You know, like, Right, right. Like, I've read Morrison's run. I've read Jeff John's run. Other than that, I guess maybe a little. Didn't was Mark Wade wrote it for a little bit yep. in the mm-hmm. 2000s. I guess I read those runs. And those had like most of your principal characters in them, but other than that, 
most of the Justice League I've ever read always had these like weird teams that didn't have Batman and Superman for some reason, you know, like James Robinson or right, or, or know, didn't have one there. of them at least. Yeah, 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 and like didn't have Wonder Woman and didn't have yeah, like I half think... the team was weird. Yeah, I think maybe it is like kind of a 2000s thing, though, like specifically, maybe this is just me, but I think like Johns did that sort of thing a lot, particularly with the Justice Society. But any time that like Justice League characters would be around or like pretty much any time in a Johns book, they had that kind of like familial bond or that like that long history. And so I think that was maybe less like an actual justice league thing and more just that era felt was very rooted in, in like history and, and legacy and that sort of thing. So, I mean, say what you want about Brad Meltzer's justice league run. I feel like when he was writing that book, the characters all wanted to be around each other. Yeah. See the only parts of that I've read are the identity crisis. No, well that that, but like the <laughs> the, the lightning saga, that, yeah, the crossover. Okay. See, I didn't read any of that. See, that was like very much because that was a Justice League Justice Society crossover, and it and it was pretty much all hinged on the Legion. Kind of, yeah, well, that, but like the history between the characters too. Yeah, like their their familiarity with each other. But yes, the Legion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the one time that the three flagship DC teams like came together there. If only they brought on the Teen Titans too. Living great. Um, but anyway, Zach, what did that? What did that issue? Oh yeah, it's, that, that definitely wasn't Abra as somebody else. Oh really? Okay. For sure. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Was it, it? It wasn't the villain behind Titans Hunt. No, no, I don't think. Well, who was the villain behind Titans Hunt? I don't, I don't, I don't remember. It's. I don't think so. It. It. Uh. uh now it's like some. It's like you never see him, but he has like his his narration boxes are all like red and dripping blood and have like this weird, scary white print, and he just talks about like he's really hungry and he's trying to like find cracks in the universe to get to Earth Prime and. Oh my. Something about. I don't know. All the, it's just like. If I didn't know any better, like if I was just a casual pursuer of, of, of DC comics, I would think it was like Atrocitus or something. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, is what it seems like, but now I don't. Without knowing who the villain of Titans Hunt was off the top of my head, I don't think so. Oh man, I know who the ah uh, who was it. Yeah. Well, let's let's move on because we have a couple more things to get through. We're going to take a little break and we have a fun back half of the show. But let's talk about the Commandy Challenge number three, written by Jimmy Palmiotti, illustrated by Amanda Connor. And uh, if we recall Mr. from. Mr. Twister. Yes. What does Mr. Twister look like? <laughs> a Twister. Yeah. I would say no. Uh, if you recall, Commandy Challenge number two ended with um, Commandy jumping off of a cliff, essentially to escape, slash sealing his death in the process. But this, of course, doesn't offer that. Um, 
before we get to the main book here, I just want to mention that so each each week each month one of the creators from the previous month talks about how they would have gotten out of the jam that they wrote themselves into. And the first two months it was the writer of the piece uh pen in that letter. This week it was Neil Adams who drew the issue last time for Peter Tomasi, right? Tomasi was the writer? Mm -hmm. And nowhere does Adams mention him by name. He calls him the writer at a couple of places, but (laughs) never mentions him by name. And this letter is a a horribly incoherent thing to try and read and was really, really You mean like Batman Odyssey? I don't think that Neil Adams had his shirt off while reading this. So <laughs> you don't know that. That's true. I don't know that. So it can't be Batman Odyssey. <laughs> but yeah, it was just very, very weird. Um, so what did you guys think of this issue? This was certainly my least favorite so far. Oh, by far. It's not even close. Yeah, this didn't... To me... To me, this had the least amount of the spirit of Kirby... You know, this felt full bore like a Palmiotti and Connor book, right down to the fact that there is a naive sex slave type character, <laughs> which is a that's that seems to be a Palmiotti staple, considering like uh, uh, the 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 um, Starfire book that they did, yeah, which I actually enjoyed, but like again, most of that book was her being like very naive and accidentally almost having sex with everyone she came across, you know? Um, and so of course, Commandy ends up with this character following him around saying, I am yours. <laughs> Apparently that's just as a thing that has to happen. Yeah. I was very bored by this issue. Now, not bored in terms of like when I was reading it, it was interesting what was happening next, but the, uh, the first two issues of this series just, forgive the the cliche like they crackled mm-hmm. you know they had that kirby spark to it and this just didn't have it at all no yeah this uh this was a pretty disappointing issue i think i also feel like it kind of trod on similar ground as excuse me uh i'm yawning when talking about this book that tells you how much <laughs> i like it um but I feel like the, I feel like the sort of animal politics of this were done in the prior issues better. Yeah, yeah, and I mean this issue like kind of ends in a similar place to I feel like where similar issues have have been. Maybe not where they left off, but where they've been. Yeah, at least. Um, yeah, and it's not not the most interesting. I mean, the art was good. I always appreciate Amanda Con- Connor's art. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like Connor's art. She's I wish she did more of it, but you know <sighs> We're we're gonna get like three what what it she's like signed on for like three exclusive issues of yep. a comic <laughs> over the next year or two or something. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's such a shame. I Yeah, she's one of my favorite uh you know sequential artists but just don't get to see a lot of it yep all right that brings us to the final book we're gonna be discussing this week which is justice harley quinn's little black (laughs) no 
No, we're not talking about that shit. Um, we're talking about Justice League of America number three, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Diogenes Neves, and uh, again, the uh, <laughs> the Ivan Reyes assignment lasted how long? Two issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you guys but think I, of this I, issue? I, I like I like Neves's art, um, and I, you know what? I am willing to say that this is the issue that turned the book around for me. Me too. I really enjoyed really? this issue. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I didn't like this. Ooh. Tell oh, us why. We get to disagree, you guys. Yeah, this yeah. never happens. <laughs> I just think this is so boring. See, this... I I was feeling that way a little. This broke through that to me. Um... And and I guess it was because like I love the incremental way that the villain has been going about gaining power, you know, and influence. And it it feels very real to me, while at the same time being very like super villainy. Um it feels methodical. And and I, this issue finally revealed to me too what type of Justice League team this is and why it's perfect. And it's not because they're a street-level team, because they're not. And it's not because there's some, like, cosmic multiversal team that's a great fit for that. This is a team, Justice League of America is a diplomat team. And to me, that makes, like, what Orlando is doing and the team that he's assembled make perfect sense to me now. And that, that... that came through in this issue in ways that it didn't come through earlier. You know, this is a group of diplomats and that's their role right now. So, so here's my take on this issue. I agree with you. Like, so while I was reading this, the issue worked when the justice league wasn't in it. Mm. If that makes sense. So like, I, I kind of agree with you. I like, you know kind of the the villains and and their and their plot and what they've been doing and this kind of like resistance that's rising up i think all of that like works really well but when you throw in this like weird hodgepodge team into this situation it just like feels i just kind of lose interest a little bit um i just don't feel like this is the right story for this team and I, I get what you're saying about them being diplomats, and I, I do I like that. That is a good take, but it just something about it just doesn't ring true to me. Brian, maybe it's just because Batman's on the team. I just can't get. <laughs> oh this. yeah, but yeah. I mean that's that is uh, our medicine, so to speak. You know, we have to take our medicine, and then we get everything else that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I definitely fall more towards Vince than Zach on this one. I still think that like Lobo is a really weird fit for this book. Oh, but see, I so think Lobo good. is, my... but he but he works. Like I think yeah. I think he works. You know, in fact, if this was just Lobo, I think I would maybe like it better. It's <laughs> interesting. Sentences we never thought we'd say. Justice Lobo of America. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if this is just Lobo leading a resistance against a multiversal dictator, I'd be all over that. That, that does sound pretty dope. Um, 
what I'll say is this. I, I think that this arc is a terrible choice for a first arc of this book. I don't think that this is giving people the Justice League action they wanted. And I'm not talking about the TV show Justice League action. I, I just feel like it's a uh, it's a really odd choice for the first arc of this book. That said, I think it's working. I think that by the end of the arc, I'll be really enjoying where it is. But I still don't know if this is... I don't know if this is the Justice League book I really wanted. I thought when this was announced, with Orlando as the writer and with the with the team members in place, I was very excited for it. And I'm while I'm enjoying what's happening here, I still don't think this is living up to the expectation that I had for it. And that might be more on me than on the book. Yeah, no, I agree. Can we talk about one uh, specific plot point or plot element? Sure. So remember that in the JLA Rebirth issue, there was the teaser of Batman holding that shield with the Liberty figure on it. Yes. And the character, the villain at the time was saying the last person that wielded that shield against me ended up dying or something like that. Yeah. And now I don't think we got that bit of dialogue this this time around but we got the same image of batman holding up that liberty shield the the only thing unless unless either of you guys knows better than i do the only thing i can think of is that that is a callback somehow to agent liberty who used to be a justice league of america character No, I'm pretty sure this is the Captain America analog. Yeah, because I I think because it, it implies that you know that these um that that Havoc and, and his crew had wiped out another Earth. Oh, and that's... and and I think it's supposed to be that one of the two Marvel analog Earths. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. I should have yeah, I should have picked up on that. I was racking my brain trying to think, like, what is the Liberty character that would have, like, a connection here? Right. Um, and all I he also think has, is... like, the, the like, Mjolnir analog, too. Yeah, you're right. So he has, like, right. Cap's shield and, and Thor's hammer, basically. I'm an idiot. No, you're our favorite. <laughs> all right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a minute or so with the second part of our show. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at the Eisner-nominated MultiversityComics.com. Every week we take about 15 minutes to check out books hitting the shelves on Wednesday that we're most looking forward to. We also have long-form discussions about books we're excited for, both old and new. These episodes have included works like Jaime Hernandez's Love Bunglers and Katsuhiro Otomo's epic Akira. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the people we've had on the show have been Tom Scioli, Paul Pope, Leila Del Duca, and John Workman. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comics-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. Alright folks, we're back. And actually, one thing I wanted to mention back when we were talking about Future Quest that I forgot to mention. Did you guys hear that book's coming back as an anthology? Oh no. Yeah, uh, DiDio announced it on, what's the name of that terrible DC-produced video show? 
All Access. All yeah. Access. Yeah. How it's going to come back as an anthology with like two or three issue arcs based on each of those sets of characters. Huh. Which could be cool. could be super fun, yeah. Uh, absolutely. DC, if you want a better version of that show, hire these three guys. Oh, yeah, baby. I'll take care of it for you. Um, it also appears that on his desk, Dan DiDio has a like uh, plush version of Bat-Cow. That's my it's greatest his, it's work. It's and joy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's my baby. <laughs> What's the bat cow? Gotta love it. <laughs> he did write a bat cow story once, didn't Yes, he? he did. In that, it was like a, a Batman Incorporated uh, like one shot that had a bunch of weird Batman Incorporated stories in it. Yeah. It, it was, uh, it was uh, Grant Morrison, don't read this, Batman Incorporated, hello. <laughs> I feel like they did that behind his back. Yeah, probably. It just showed up on the stands. It showed up in his comps uh, mailing one day, and he was like, <laughs> I can't do a good Scottish impression. But Just, just wait something on Earth-17 for a bit. Don't look over here. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so we should get Alice to record like a bunch of different Scottish phrases. Yeah, and make a soundboard for Grant Morrison stuff. So. Should oh man, Alice, please, if you're listening, just do this for us. Yeah, I can't. It's like the one impression I can't. do. You're right. You you are you are truly the master of all impressions, save one. <laughs> Maybe if I go into a fat bastard first yeah. and then transition to a <laughs> get in my belly. Get in my belly. I ate a baby once. <laughs> All right, let's let's leave that unpleasantness behind us and get to the unpleasantness that was the Justice League trailer. Uh, this dropped just shy of a week ago. Uh, by the time you were hearing this, almost a week and a half ago. And um, we texted about it a little bit. Zach, this is going to come as no surprise to anybody. You're the most optimistic of us about this movie. Uh, tell if us, you want to call it that. Yeah, I mean... If you, if you want to call it optimism. Tell us what it was about... The, well, let's, let's do this. Why don't, why don't each of us give... One thing we liked about the trailer to start. So, Zach, what's the one thing you liked about the trailer? Um, if you if you ask me, I don't know if I can tell you. It um, <laughs> it looked okay. The trailer didn't make me as nauseated as I was when I saw the first Batman versus Superman trailer. Does that make sense? It's like it it didn't it like immediately turn me off. It was like kind of fun. I like okay, so so I saw like you know the initial hot takes and it was just like, "Oh, you know, grim dark DC na na na." And like, yeah, it still has that Zack Snyder atmosphere and tone but i didn't think it looked grimdark you know yeah uh, and so i guess that's that's where my optimism comes from uh vince i have my one good thing do you have one good thing i'm i'm struggling to find one good thing i, I think you're gonna like my one good thing i'm rich bitch no <laughs> oh, gosh. uh but that was a great ashy larry shout out in the trailer <laughs> there um but I uh, 
I'm glad that somebody decided to use a different White Stripes song on a trailer besides <laughs> Seven Nation Army. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what 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 one are they using? What the, was that? The hardest button to button. Hardest button to button. Yeah. Which is a song I love. Yeah. I think it's a great song. Um, and then there is that god awful cover of cover of Come Together. Oh, terrible, terrible! What a oh my. God. I, I don't know who it is, and I haven't been arsed to look it up, <laughs> but it was really bad. Yeah. What What do you guys... I don't know if we've talked about this. What do you think of this Aquaman? Okay. I'm glad you brought that up. This is clearly not the Aquaman that we're used to, right? This is not the Arthur Curry of the comics or of the Justice League cartoon or any of that sort of stuff. But I think it might work. This is like this is like Thor plus um I don't know. I feel a lot of Thor though. Oh, like, absolutely. He's the royal from a kingdom that's not unlike ours but is different enough to make things awkward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and i think but also like a little like barbaric yeah i mean a lot of a lot of the humor is gonna come from how rough around the edges he is clearly yeah. which i think is a valid like here okay here's my here's my only problem with it you could total i would love this take on aquaman if Superman was the Boy Scout that we expect him to be, the clean cut, you know. Right. But like, now Aquaman's not clean cut, but none of these guys are clean cut. You I, know? Th- like, I think they're gonna try and make Cyborg actually that character. Oh, of course. Let's let's have like the one black guy on our team be the most boring character. That's see. I Wait, feel you like, don't like the Boy Scout character. <laughs> I do. That's just not like, I don't know. I'm joking. I always like the boy scout character. And I I like, I like the boy scout character. I just think that the Snyder verse has them sort of mixed up a little, you know? Um, and, and, and you can already tell that cyborg is going to get the short shrift of everything. Well, have you seen the, like, um, really kind of like harsh backlash against uh, about his design? Well, no. I thought it. I thought it looked awful, but I, I haven't. Both that and the Flash costume look like garbage. Yeah, what's the backlash, Zach? Oh, just that it. Just the the CG looks really bad. That it looks bad. Yeah, it really. Yeah, does. I mean, I, I mean, it doesn't look great. I saw someone comparing it to like PS2 graphics, which is obviously <laughs> like yeah, that's, that's absurd. But have, have you guys Nintendo Switch graphics? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Did you guys notice the subtle racism of the trailer? Um. Maybe what was it? There, there's a part where they're like, um, Arthur Curry, King of Atlantis, blah blah blah. Barry Allen, blah blah blah. He's like a cyborg. They don't say <laughs> Vic Stone at all. Like every other character is introduced with his with his actual name, and then like something that is his code name, and they don't even mention Vic Stone at all. Well, it is it is pro- like I don't know. It is probably the one name that like 
Well, I don't know. Cyborg is like I think I sometimes still underestimate like how big of a name like Cyborg is to like people our age and then younger. Yeah. Who who like grew up watching the Teen Titans cartoon. So, I also think I that know. Arthur Curry is Nobody not the knows. most well-known name. Yeah. Nobody knows who Arthur Curry is. Every, everyone knows Aquaman, but nobody knows Arthur Curry. I guess. Also, J- I'm sorry, but Jason Momoa, is, his name is not Arthur Curry. What's, what, yeah. You know, <laughs> like that, that, is that like an alias that he's going by? Or? I hope he comes up with it like... Uh... Like he's, he's in a, yeah, know, he, he's in a mall, and he's like, "What's your name?" And he sees Arthur the Aardvark, like a stuffed animal. He's like, Arthur, adopted. and no, then looks over, and he sees a, an Indian restaurant. It's like Curry, Arthur Curry. He's he yeah. could be. He's he's strolling down the street, and some some like uh, theater is showing the 1981 movie Arthur, starring uh, Dudley Moore and uh, Les Minnelli. Yeah, and and he so he sees that on the thing, and he goes Arthur. And then he sees a curry restaurant right next to it, and that's how he does it. I hope then the movie. I hope then the Aquaman movie ends with Arthur's theme. <laughs> if he gets caught between the moon of New York City, the best thing he can do is fall in love. Come on, guys. <laughs> I can just see him like, <laughs> like making a home for himself on Earth, and like yeah. finally becoming comfortable. And he's like. They're playing this very melancholy Arthur's theme, and he's like strolling by that like very famous uh, part of Central Park where you can see the New York skyline. Yeah, and... yeah. I love it. Uh, call me up, DC. I'll, I'll definitely music supervise all your films for you, <laughs> and you won't regret it at all. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so okay, but you want my one like we've shit on this show a lot. Is there anything you can say about it that it's a uh... Reasonably positive. Um, oh boy, can I? Ooh, watch me backhand this one. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't give you cancer. No, 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 no. Zach already kind of pulled that gig. Um, <laughs> no, this trailer is the first trailer that Zack Snyder has ever, or for a Zack Snyder movie that has ever not fooled me into thinking that the movie was going to be any good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, say what you will about Zack Snyder, but, like... The motherfucker can cut a trailer. Dude can cut a trailer. Yeah. I think I think even people oh. that hate his guts can agree that, that he can make a three-minute music video that makes his movie look good if you can, like, suspend oh. your... You know, and I think this is the, honestly, honestly, I'm being 100% honest. Even Batman versus Superman, the way that, you know, at least one of those trailers was cut had me thinking, like, oh, maybe this is going to be like, it might not be the exact configuration of Batman and Superman that I want, but maybe this is going to be something better than, you know. Man, I guess I'm maybe still... you're right. That second, maybe it's the the second trailer, the one that showed the the party scene where Bruce is getting out of his car. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's that one. Maybe I did. I don't know. I, I just. Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember. I mean, has you can almost see the um the earbuds in Ben Affleck's ears during all these scenes. He is so fucking checked out during these yeah. scenes. 
he just looks like he's listening to a book on tape and just like <laughs> nodding along to what everyone's talking about. Like it is, it is really bad. Well, have we talked about any of that on here? I don't think we have. Dude, family court sucks. Okay, first of all. <laughs> so, uh, we haven't talked about him like supposedly wanting to get out of. Yeah, yeah. well, and like Batman, the the solo film has been pushed back, so they're scrambling to find a replacement for that. Well, they they hired what's his name to do that. Um, Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves. Right. Yeah. That this that's this is all a huge mistake. I'm sorry, but but you could see it coming a mile away when they announced like 20 movie titles with no information behind them and had to go and are like going through flash directors faster than, uh, the flash. Well, no, I was going to say faster than like some band that's gone through drummer, like spinal tap drummers. There we go. (laughs) And, uh, well, it was, it's extremely prescient, but did you see the onion article about the Batgirl script? No, no, it was it was last week. The Onion uh, did a did a headline. DC executive worried Batgirl script not interesting enough to be a movie. Three more movies, twenty twenty eight reboot, and four more movies. <laughs> <laughs> the Onion has been on point lately. Yes, they're 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 in Flavor Town for sure. Yeah, their Mike uh-huh. Pence stuff is so great. Don't get me started on that. Well, that that transitions really well into the next part of our conversation, which is that it was announced today that Joss Whedon is in discussions to direct and write a Batgirl film, uh, shockingly based on the New 52 iteration, presumably like the Gail Simone New 52 iteration, not the Batgirl of Burnside, which makes no sense. No sense whatsoever, but that's a whole other story. Um, it only makes sense if you consider that that is the perfect dour tone for the rest of the bullshit that the <laughs> DC Cinematic Universe has been in. I mean, really. That's let's, true. Let's break this down, though. Like, So Joss Whedon has just created the most successful superhero film franchise of all time. One of the most successful film franchises of all time. And now he's going to go make a Batgirl movie. He's joining the NWO. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. No wow. chance wow. hell. Are we... Hey, are we sure that... Uh, are we sure that quote-unquote Joss Whedon is in talks doesn't just mean Warner Brothers keeps calling, but I can't <laughs> hear the phone ringing over the sound of me <laughs> shuffling money next to my ear? I mean, it certainly could. Because really, well, okay. Let, let let's unpack this for a second too. So first of all, I I think it is it is well within my rights to say that I don't give a shit about Joss Whedon. Like I like the Avengers. That is the only Joss Whedon project I've ever cared about for more than two seconds. You that, didn't like uh, Doctor Horrible sing along vlog? I've never seen it. And I never will. Um, oh man, no, it's so good. Do what a man's gotta uh, do. The hammer I, is my penis. I'm going to pull that out and that audio and make that my text tone from you. <laughs> uh, but no, it's uh it's, you know, I I'm just I'm I'm of the age where like I I was just a little bit too old for Buffy or Firefly. 
or uh, whatever. And I, I'm sure they're good. I have nothing against him. I just don't care. Like, I, that's the thing. I don't. I don't mean to sound like I am down on him. I just he like this. This announcement didn't do anything for me to get me super excited. You know, there are lots of other writer directors who would have got me really excited about this film. This is not one of those announcements, which is fun. What? You hate his stupid guts. I do. No, but you you understand what I'm saying. It's just it's not a big deal. But I feel like. Yes, that's true. I know. I know. Uh, but it just to me, it's just a very weird. Like, this seems like this would be like DC being like, we have signed Brian Michael Bendis to come over to our company. We have oh, been God, waiting. No. We have been waiting to put to unleash him on the book he's been meant to do. Say hello to Brian Michael Bendis on Blue Beetle. Like, it's such a weird choice to get this huge blockbuster director and not be like, hey, fix Batman for us. Like, no, here's a character that is, at best, the third or fourth most interesting character in the Bat version, the Bat universe, that there's been no buildup for whatsoever. Take that movie. Doesn't that seem weird? Mm, I mean... Oh, go ahead, Zach. You go ahead, Vince. You might be going down a similar path. Yeah, I was going to say, like, are we sure that this just isn't DC trying to do Joss Whedon Rebirth, where, like, uh, Brian, you know him as the blockbuster director of the Avengers, but let's not kid ourselves. Nobody has really, like, like, you talk about Joss Whedon, you're talking about Buffy the, the Buffy. Vampire yes, Slayer. Yes, agreed. And when you talk about Buffy and you talk about DC characters, Batgirl is in the discussion for what you would want you know, this is clearly Warner Brothers trying to say, hey, he's not doing anything with Buffy. We've got Batgirl just sitting here. You know, people liked Buffy a lot. There's a huge, you know, fan base. He's he he is thought to be good with female characters for some reason. So why don't we hire him for that? Now, does it make sense for Whedon himself? I don't I don't know if I agree with that. That's where I imagine Warner Brothers is coming from. Wasn't he in talks at one point to be to do like a Wonder Woman movie like a long time ago? Two thousand seven, yeah. But that makes way more sense to me. Like this just seems like it seems to me like the, the Batgirl movie cannot be anything that isn't tonally similar to the Batman movies, right? Like, they can't do this super dour, dark Batman movie and then have a a really different toned Batgirl. I just don't see how that makes any sense. I mean, it doesn't, but I think... <sighs> if any movie could, like, add some light to the DC film it could it would be this one i mean tonally no it would make no sense but we live in a world where like there's 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 logan and there's deadpool yeah i I guess go go, go ahead uh vince i just thought of something what's that what if this is warner brothers pulling a I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we're trying to remove it deal where they are 
without us knowing or without anyone knowing, they're essentially scrapping the DC Cinematic Universe that they have for all intents and purposes and saying, like, look, you know, uh, Ben Affleck wants out. It doesn't seem like this Zack Snyder thing is, is, is going anywhere good, you know? What if what if this is the just the beginning, just like the exploratory, uh, exploratory expedition towards getting Joss Whedon, who has been done dirty by Marvel, um, in a manner of speaking, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, uh, over to them to sort of start crafting something different for their. Just, I think that totally makes sense. But... I think it makes sense, but they've also announced a ton of other movies recently. They announced the Nightwing well, movie like two weeks ago. <laughs> well, Maybe that's part of you know. well. I think the Nightwing. I think that. I think that plays into the narrative. Like they can't have Batman anymore, so they're going to introduce <laughs> Nightwing. I guess so. I think it works. Like I mean, their whole thing has been yeah, like. I mean, we're always going to have this beautiful Zack Snyder superhero trilogy to hold us down, but um, yeah, like a lot of their problems seems to stem around like the new 52, just weird junk going on with like creative control and like too much corporate oversight. So how, what are they going to do? They're going to 180, they're going to DCU rebirth this and call in a big visionary filmmaker let him have full creative reins and and just kind of reboot this thing behind the behind the scenes. I think it's feasible. It's I'm, I'm, I don't I don't know that that's a good idea. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Let me let me let me rephrase that. Almost anything is a better idea than Zack Snyder continuing down this road. I think. But I don't know that it's an adequate idea. I'm not like crazy about Joss Whedon either. Well, I, what's interesting is this: I there there's a a pretty healthy bit of criticism about the MCU, which is that they that no director is ever able to really put their stamp on a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. That a Marvel movie is what it is. And, like, if you watched Thor and you didn't know that Kenneth Branagh directed that, you would never know it. Like, it doesn't have any Kenneth Branagh-isms to it, right? It's just, like, it's, for for better or for worse, everybody in the MCU is doing their best Jon Favreau impression. Because Jon Favreau got there first, you know? And so Iron Man kind of fits sort of his aesthetic. And everybody else just kind of does something that's, you know, kind of similar to that. And... It's why almost no director has gone from a Marvel movie to doing anything outside of Marvel with any real success just yet, because it's not like it's a director's film. Does that make sense? Right. And I think that the the benefit of that is you don't have a Zack Snyder situation, where you have to have other people come in and fix this heavily fucked up series of films because the director didn't know what the fuck he was doing. Yeah. The one thing DC could have going for it is if they could like versus Marvel is if they could say like, 
we are we are this is a director's film you know right we we give control well they've to, said that already well we've yet to really see that i mean other than i mean like really like other than the we're, we're about to get wonder woman but you know outside of suicide squad everything's been snyder and suicide right. squad came out as like a like a you know weird bastardization of a snyder movie if, if such a thing could exist you know yeah. like uh, i don't know yeah well let's let's put aside what's been maybe our most negative podcast ever um uh, yeah i think you, i think you're right <laughs> certainly our most negative since rebirth started yeah certainly that but let's talk about something fun. Uh, we have decided to list our top 10 DC series of Rebirth. And the way I want to do this, boys, and tell me if you have any objections to this, is we'll start with number 10. And so let's say that Zach says number 10 is Batman Beyond. And yeah, Vince and, and Vince has that at number three. Vince can say, oh, we'll talk about that later. And we'll move on. So we're only talking about it in its highest position. Does, its that, highest make, position. does that make sense? I like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, Zach is the baby of the bunch. Why don't you go first? What's All your right, number my, 10? My number 10 is Teen Titans. Vince, do you have that? That just missed my list. Yeah, that I was – I, I actually made a top 15. That was my number 12. So go for it, Zach. Tell us why. Uh, okay, that's weird. I figure you guys are way more on Teen Titans than I am, so that makes me interested to hear your list. But uh, I don't know. This book is just it's it's um, really grown on me over the past few issues. I think when Koi Fam came on, uh, my enjoyment increased a lot. Nothing against John Boy Myers. I just didn't think it really fit the tone of the book necessarily. But um, I just really like the the cast i think they interact really well uh i think percy has a really good grasp on the majority of the characters voices i think beast boy is maybe still like a little too horny <laughs> but um i Gar enjoy horny, it. <laughs> God, i said last week don't ever say that <laughs> um but yeah i just i think this book is it's a lot of fun yeah, I think I I mean I I don't have an exact placement for it, but I think it would have been uh you know just off my top 10, possibly 11 or 12 and for all the reasons that you said. Um I'm I'm so glad we finally have a good Teen Titans book. Yeah. I agree completely. Vince, what's your number 10? Batwoman. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. Ooh, baby. All Brian, right. your number ten. My number ten is Batgirl. We'll talk about that later. Okay, Zach, what's your number nine? Batgirl. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Vince, what's your number nine? Aquaman. We'll talk about that right now. Both of us have <laughs> at number nine. Oh, Zach, do you have that? Higher? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. Uh, go ahead, Vince. Okay, so Aquaman has been um, the the one series in Rebirth I feel that has told like almost an what feels like a unbroken continuous story that actually reaches back from before uh, rebirth even happened. Like Dan Abnett started writing at the tail end of that. And from what I can tell, it's been a continuous story this whole way through. I couldn't tell you where an arc ends or an arc begins. 
Like I wouldn't be able to tell you a particular issue number that there was some sort of change in plot or anything, uh, because it's just been so consistent all the way through. I, I wish there was a little bit more Brad Walker. I think we've only gotten him on like a small handful of issues There's so a far. Four, maybe. Yeah, but um, but you know all the other Philippe Brionis has done some really nice work. Scott Eaton, not bad. Um, and just Abnett is really reclaiming Arthur Curry and making him into a more complex sort of thematic melding of what he's always been, which is kind of like a a uh, straight-laced Boy Scout type and the Jeff Johns, like, badass flip a truck just because I can uh blasting kid rock in my dumb truck <laughs> that I imagine that I imagine him to be, you know, Dan Abnett's kind of found the best of both worlds, making him a threat that people are actually afraid of on some level, but also uh, a very moral and upstanding uh, Captain America figure almost. Yeah. I'll add that, uh, I have found Atlant- Atlantean politics incredibly boring in the past, and this book simplified a lot of that to make it an interesting plot point. And I didn't expect that at all. Yeah. Yeah, I can get behind that. This probably would have been like my 11 or 12. Uh, so what is your number eight, Zach? Oh, do you want to talk about Batgirl? Oh, is that, that was my number nine. Batgirl's oh. my number eight. Oh, that's your number eight. Okay, I didn't. I didn't hear you say we'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, do you want to talk about it since it's your number eight? <laughs> well, he 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 just talked. So, what's your number eight? Well, we gotta talk. Oh, okay. Mine's a uh, new Superman. Oh, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, talking about Batgirl. This was such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really was. Um. Uh, Batgirl, yes. So, um, I really liked the opening arc of Batgirl with the Raphael Albuquerque art and uh, Hope Larson taking uh, Babs on a Asian vacation, you know. Um, but the book really opened up to me once she came back and Chris Wild Goose started on art. And for me, and this is, I mentioned this last week, this is big, this is big coming from me considering what a big fan I was of that run. But um, to me, this book is approaching Brian Q. Miller's Steph Brown Batgirl run as far as this perfect mix of, like, smart and funny and witty and fast-paced and uh, action, but, like, also personal life stuff thrown in, young adult, young adult personal life, uh, dating, things like that feels very modern. I mean, this is just, we said it earlier in the episode, but um, Hope Larson's done an incredible job of taking what the Batgirl of Burnside built in the New 52 and and running with that, you know, um, keeping, keeping the same group of friends and the same general tone uh, and not, not really missing a beat with it. And and almost be almost giving us a more consistent version of that, I think. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying Batgirl. I think it's interesting, but one of the things that I really like about the book is that it's um, 
it still feels true to that Batgirl of Burnside story, but it also feels like more of the DC universe. It feels yeah. more at peace with what's happening everywhere else. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I agree. And I'm kind of like right where you are, Vince. I really liked that first arc a lot, but it's been this most recent arc that's really kind of cemented it as one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. Here, here. All right, so that was your number eight, right? Yeah. Uh, my number eight is Detective Comics. Oh, we'll talk about that next. We'll, we'll talk about that even further after that. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> I will talk about one of these comics at one point. Uh, no, I don't know if you will. <laughs> uh, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, Zach, what's your number seven? I'm sorry, your number. Yeah, your number we, seven. Yeah. Yeah, my number seven is Wonder Woman. We won't talk about that. No, that was, that was my number 11. Okay. So, uh, yeah, go for it. Okay, so, yeah, um, I I think this is maybe um, one of the most impressive books of Rebirth. Obviously, it's not my favorite. It's number seven. But just the scope of what Rucka and company are doing in terms of, A, the kind of, you know, the split storytelling, and then, B, really kind of, you know, re revamping and rebirthing wonder woman's history i think is just really interesting and the fact that it's worked as well as it has you know i think there's been some bumps in the road especially for me there have been some arcs that i maybe wasn't as as high on but as a i think as a whole as we're kind of getting to you know what may be the the end of it and the we're seeing kind of the bigger picture i think it works really really well and it's just as as far as a complete product, just with the caliber of art and and storytelling, I think it's really good. Did I tell you guys my Wonder Woman theory? Maybe. So, um, you know, the rumor is that Dan Abnett is off the book as of uh, June, or Greg is Rucka? it that? I'm sorry, Greg. I'm sorry, Greg Rucka. And so I was thinking about who would take over for him. And I think we're going to be very happy because I'm I am willing to bet like twenty bucks that it's Tim Seeley mm. because Tim Seeley is writing that Steve Trevor one shot for June, and in the solicit it talks about like the future of their relationship together. In addition, Tim Seeley wrote the two issues of Justice League that were the Steve Trevor. Centric ones during the Justice League versus Suicide Squad arc. And uh, I think Seely is a rising star at DC, and they're going to realize that they're going to give him the keys to Wonder Woman. Man. He was the good half of Grayson, so. <laughs> yes, he was. He wrote Hackslash. I was going to say, and he wrote Hackslash. He's written a strong female protagonist before. Yeah. I can't buy that. All right, Vince, what's your number seven? My number seven is Detective Comics. So, but Zach said that we're going to talk about that later. So, yeah. All right. My number seven is Superwoman. Oh. Are we going to talk about that later? You're going to talk about that now. Okay. I'm surprised you guys don't have that higher. I know the last issue was not as, uh, 
as glorious as prior ones have been. But I think that the first three or four issues of Superwoman are maybe the best, like, just pure example of what Rebirth, what the potential for Rebirth was, and what ultimately I think it reached in in a couple different instances where it felt fresh and new, but it also was reverent of this, you know, of 75 years of history, and it gave a hell of a swerve in the first issue and it was really fun and really different. And I think Phil Jimenez did incredible work, both as a writer and artist on that series. And just, just overall was a really, really impressive, different type of book that I think is going to be one of those runs that people are going to remember five or 10 years from now in a really reverential way. It's, you know, it's never going to get the, uh, the absolute edition or anything like that. But I think it's, it's going to be an incredibly important small run in sort of what has been the rehabilitation of the Superman line over the last, you know, couple of years. You know, I really don't disagree with you at all. And maybe, yeah, I think the last time we did this list, it was in my top three. And this is just me being like a really fickle, fair weather comics reader. But the last like issue or two really kind of, I think, tainted my perception of it, at least in terms of where it sits in my. And I I understand that. I do. I just think there's still far more good there than anything else. Yeah. I think that's fair. That actually, it probably should have made it onto my list. All right. Well, uh, does that bring us to your number six, Zach? It does. And what um, is your number six? My number six is Batwoman. Okay. I think that was my number six also. Let me just pull up my list here. It is, yes, but feel free to talk about it. Okay. Unless... Wait, Vince, is, is that, you already mentioned that, right? Bat, did you say Batwoman? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I I felt a little bad including this so high on my list since there's only been two issues so far, the rebirth issue and the first issue. This is this top ten's Trinity. It is definitely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only I don't think it's gonna go the route that Trinity went at Agreed. all. Agreed. Um this book I, I kind of, you know, already gushed on it a little bit when we when we talked about uh, I think the the number one issue, not the rebirth, but I, you know, I kind of said that I, I felt like it had a feel of like one of those kind of like decade defining runs, like one of those books that you, you look back on and you think this book really was like one of the, the books of like the, you know, the mid two thousands or something like that. Um, and I, like, I don't have really any basis for that other than that's just my, my gut reaction from having read comics for, for you know, a long time. But the, I just think this is really special. Um, I think this is a fantastic creative team um, pairing, you know, Marguerite Bennett, um, Steve Epting, and then James, James Tynion, the fourth for I guess at least this first arc, I think he's eventually going to peel off. I believe so. Yeah. Seems like it, but, but still, um, I, I just think this is a really special book. And, uh, just the fact that it's made such an impression on me after two issues, um, 
I think is really special. I can't argue with any of that. Yeah, I mean, it made my it made the bottom of my list on those very same grounds. I mean, we're talking about two issues that are as exciting as any two issues of DC Rebirth. Excuse me, hiccups uh, of DC Rebirth have have been. So, yeah, total totally justified. Uh, Vince, what was your number six? My number six is New Superman. Okay, that that just missed my list as well. So you talk about that. <sighs> you bastard. Hey, Zach, it you made had, you... <laughs> it made my top fifteen. I would never have said that after the first couple issues. Okay. Yeah, and it was my number eight. So eight. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I just love. Um, we were talking about Marvel last week and how they introduced these sort of um, uh, legacy characters that up the diversity diversity quotient and and sort of steal the spotlight sometimes. And I think uh, New Superman is a really great DC version of that. And very quickly, yes, uh, Keenan Kong was a dick right in the beginning, but I think he quickly became one of the characters in the DCU that I was most interested in learning more about. You know, the, the, the problem with these characters that have stories that have gone on for you know 70 75 80 years is that we know everything there is to know about them you know until scott snyder tries to like slip new secret history of batman stuff into his you know that never really works out totally the way that you want it but here we have a new character to follow and um i think gene yang is just such a tremendous writer uh the the characters that he's populated keenan's world with and um and just sort of the, it, it's, th- these can be very cookie cutter things. These like he- young heroes that are endowed with powers and they're not ready to handle them yet. And I feel like Yang somehow found uh, a way to do that in a novel way with a character that doesn't feel like any character that came before and that is on a journey that doesn't quite feel like anyone else's journey either. And it's been really satisfying to see that play out. And the art's been really good, whether it was um, Bogdanovic or um, who's the most recent? Billy Tan, right? Billy Tan. Oh, Billy Tan's been great, too. Um, yeah, just, just such a strong little book that I hope, you know, I don't think Keenan will ever take over the Superman mantle, but but as long as he always has a place, I, I I'm looking forward to seeing where it takes him. Yeah, I agree. You know, you guys both know that I was like kind of down on this book in the first arc, and then I and I came around, and it is one of my favorites now. I think Keenan is a really cool character. I like how he is both you know, uh, immediately a, a super character, but then also Yang ties in Chinese mythology in a really smart way that doesn't feel, you know, um, kitschy or exploitive necessarily, you know. Um, it's it's just a great book. I can't argue with any of that. Like I said, I just missed my list, but... It's a uh, it's a testament to how strong Rebirth is 
that this didn't make my list. All right, so um, my number six, as I mentioned before, was Batwoman. So, uh, Zach, what's your number five? We're getting top five here already, guys. Top five. My number five is Detective Comics. All right, tell us about that. I well, okay, so it is the best Batman. It's the best book featuring Batman in Rebirth, which I I don't think any of us would have called coming into Rebirth. Um, it's also one of the best team books. In fact, looking at my list, I would say it's the best team book at Re- in Rebirth right now. Um, yeah, this book is just, it was, a, it was really good in the first arc. I enjoyed it, but then I think we can all agree that the, the ending to that first arc kind of just blew us all out of the water. Um, really upped both uh, Tynion and Eddie Barrow's stock in terms of my perception of them as, as creators. And yeah, just everything about this book works really well. The way the characters interact, their voices, the art, um, the plot, everything is just kind of firing on all cylinders. And even, even, you know, issues that are maybe a little bit slower are still really, really like interesting and engaging. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that this is the bet book I didn't know I always wanted. Yeah, yeah. And the the Clayface book I never knew I always wanted. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he's so great. For sure. So great. Vince, what's your number five? My number five is The Flash, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. We will talk about that later, yes. Um, my number five is Super Sons. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Maybe Super Sons is the trinity of this uh, <laughs> <laughs> of this round. Then, uh, all right. What's your number four, Zach? Uh, Nightwing. We'll talk about that later. What's your number four, Vince? Nightwing. We'll talk about that later. My number four is the Flash. Ah, uh, Zach. Uh, no, we'll talk about it now. Okay. Um, so, The Flash has been at the epicenter of every major DC transformation, from the dawn of the Silver Age, to Crisis on Infinite Earths, to Flashpoint, to Rebirth. And this book is the first Flash book that I can remember that treats the character with that much reverence from Jump. I feel like this book fully understands that Barry Allen is, for better or for worse, the crux of the DC Universe. And uh, I love how Joshua Williamson has been tying in all the other speedsters... You know whether it's the new ones that were created in that in that first arc, or tying in the two Wally Wests, or you know in the button we're going to be getting the return of Jay Garrick supposedly. You know, so just it's becoming it's not just a book about the Barry Allen Flash; it's a book about the concept of the Flash and what the Flash is and can be. And I think that's such a great, great thing to have out there right now. 
I couldn't be happier with this book. And uh, the art, Neil Gouge, Carmine DiGiadomenico, um, just, you know, incredible stuff. And, uh, yeah, this is a book that I absolutely adore. And I, I'm so happy that – I'm so happy for both the creators and for the character that it's getting the reception it's getting. This might be our first big dissenting opinion. Um, not because I don't like the Flash book, but it didn't make my top ten because while I, I really enjoyed the first arc a lot, subsequent arcs, while while fun, have not really interested me. That Barry and Iris date issue? I mean, that was good, but that was just one issue in amidst a, a series of short arcs that, like I said, were, were fun, but not, I don't know, like that, that rogues arc really kind of underwhelmed me. The shade arc, I, I thought was... Shut your mouth. It was all right. <laughs> Vince, talk some sense into Zach. I mean, I see where he's coming from, and... That shade arc was so good. It it was it was good, but I get I get what Zach is saying. I get there is something I I have this at number five, and there is something keeping it out of that top three that I just can't quite put my finger on. But I sort of know what Zach is talking about. It's a really good book. It is a really good book. It probably would have been my number 11. Yeah. Well, this will be the last episode of the DC3 cast, guys. So <laughs> enjoy these last few minutes while they while they last. Again, it just, I think it just I'm goes kidding. to show how good Rebirth is. That there are books that even, you know, I would say Flash is, you know, head and shoulders above most any book in the new 52 but there are 10 other books that i put ahead of it fair yeah. enough all right zach what is what is your next book you put ahead of it my number four is that where are we on number four i think you just said your number four didn't you did i nightwing yeah i said we talk about it later okay so we're all done with number four is yeah that? so you're on number three okay. number three is deathstroke we'll talk about that later Vince? Uh, it is Superman. No, wait, four? Three. Oh, right, because I already said Nightwing. Yeah, Superman. We'll talk about that later. All right. We'll talk about that later. Uh, my number three is Nightwing. Okay. Yeah, that was my number four. Mine as well. All right. Um, Tim Seeley is so fucking good at writing Nightwing. <laughs> this book is – and look, I, Dick Grayson is one of my favorite characters of all time – in my top three comic characters, hands down. I don't know if there's ever been a book that has both been breaking new ground and also reflecting what's made him so great since he went to Bloodhaven in the early 90s. And I will say this is more than likely a better book than that book was. This is just a fantastic Dick Grayson book. And when Seeley brings in another character for a little bit, like Damian Wayne currently, 
it's just so fantastic. It works so well. Uh, Tim Seeley for president. <laughs> yeah, please. You're not wrong. We all get laid a lot more. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I mean, I can't back that up in any way, but you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, this book's been fantastic. I I really like. I I don't know like. I could just like go on and on saying like more, you know, positive adjectives, but to to me, like the, this current arc has yet to play out with him and Damien, um, but it's already off to like two of the best issues of Rebirth have been these last two Nightwing issues, but I would say that even the issue where you find out like where you see how far along things are getting with him and Sean. Mm-hmm. And then she gets kidnapped or whatever, you know, like that, that single issue, that's such a difficult trick to pull off, right? Like writing a character that we've spent almost no time with making you care that Dick cares and believe that he cares and having to speed that up for a 20 page issue of a comic to the point where at the end, it's like actually heartbreaking that's really tough to pull off. And Tim Seeley did it, you know, and just out of thin air in the middle of a, a, a story that you never would have, ex- I, I never would have expected that Nightwing was going to find somebody that he loves, you know, in Bloodhaven. It's, it's just, and, and then it happened and it happened like that. And it was so effective. And that issue was so gut wrenching. Um, that that single issue right there is the power of Tim Seeley's, uh, you know, the current mojo that he's got going, for lack of a better word. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that the early arc with with Raptor, uh, with Raptor, but I was gonna say with Dick and Babs interacting and oh, just yeah. how good that was, and yeah, it's a really good book. Yeah. Um, so, Zach, what's your number uh, two? My number two is Super Sons. Super, Super Sons is my number two as well. Let's talk about it, boys. <laughs> well, Zach, why don't you go? Okay. Um, I think Jonathan Kent is probably one of like our, our breakout stars of the of rebirth and we're all pretty big damien fans and so when this book was first announced we were you know pretty excited but it didn't have a creative team announced or no it did but that ended up not being the team that is on the book we instead got um tomasi who has saved superman (laughs) uh not single-handedly but as a part of the team who saved superman and um and um, Jorge Jimenez, who is um, an artist I've always kind of liked since I became aware of him, but really, you know, came into the spotlight with that that Superman uh, single issue, the the fair one. Yeah. And um, man, this book is just—it's so fun. Um, Just—it's—it's it's what I want a Teen Titans book. It's—I think it's like the 
the essence of what I really look for in terms of like a young superhero book. It has, you know, like a lot of um, innocence to it in the form of, of Jonathan. Um, and it, it's, you know, extremely high energy. It's, I don't know. There's, it's just, it has just all those right qualities that I, that I kind of like would expect and look for. And, and just the voices of the characters are, are perfect. Um, and again, we've, you know, we've only had two issues, but it, it, I, it kind of feels like more because the ground was laid in, in Superman, you know? Yeah. So it doesn't feel necessarily like a, a new series as much as a, a completely organic offshoot of the main Superman book. I mean, having Tomasi write it helps that a lot. Right, for sure. I don't know. What do you think, Vince? Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I, and I just... Uh, my admiration for Jorge Jimenez's art uh, is just so, so high. Um, just the way that, that he's he's always doing something with the characters in each panel that's a little bit extra than what the script actually calls for. You know, whether it's them making a face or messing with something or, you know, like there's just always there's always extra little flourishes added in that give so much character to the visuals that the script itself doesn't necessarily provide and you know any good artist does this but he does it in literally every panel every panel there is something interesting to look at um that's not what you would expect and um it 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 feels so effortless i know it's not i know it's a lot of work but um it it looks so effortless. It looks so fun, and 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 it's it's the perfect tone for the characters that we're dealing with. And I hope they don't betray that down the road, because because a couple issues in, they're they're hitting exactly the 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 sweet spot. I think. I, I mean, it's it, it it didn't take very long for this to be one of my very favorite books because of how perfectly it hits the the exact target that it's aiming for. And here I thought my number five was brazen. <laughs> what was your number five again? It was this. I had this at oh, five oh, and I was oh, like, oh, I, I was like, this is oh, high for this book. Cause it's still only two issues. Yeah. Nah, it's a damn good book, man. It is. It is. I can't argue with anything you guys said. Can't and won't. <laughs> All right. Um, my number two book is Deathstroke. We'll Are we going to talk about, about that, that later? later. <laughs> okay. Um, Zach, what's your number one? My number one is Superman. That is also my number one. Now, I think that was, was that all of our number ones when we did this the last time? Maybe. I don't remember. I think it was, but anyway, talk about Superman, boys. Why don't you talk about Deathstroke first? Since two, two of the three of us picked Superman, let's end with that. Wait, right. wait, wait, did you have Superman, Vince? Superman was third for me. Okay. And Deathstroke was number two for me. Deathstroke was three for me. All right. So, Deathstroke. I mean, what can we we give this book a uh, tongue bath every time we talk about it? <laughs> 
so I don't need to get like too specific here. But but the thing that I love that Christopher Priest is doing with this book, and we've talked about it before, um, going beyond the fact that he is writing Deathstroke to be true to himself as a bastard. I think we've talked. I think we've probably said Deathstroke is a bastard probably a dozen times <laughs> on the show. Yeah. But uh, but he's he's going above and beyond by just having these incredible comic booky twists that show just what a bastard he is or embrace like totally the fact that he is a comic book character villain um, that has previously tormented teens, you know, currently he's tormenting his own teens, I would say, uh, you know, rather than actual, uh, the teen Titans, but his own kids, you know, are kind of right now the focus of his, um, extracurricular meddling i would say um but but priest just took this character and took what was potentially interesting about him but could never carry a solo series and just ran with it and he didn't do it alone he did it with a great art team uh joe bennett carlo pagalion Carlo Pagalion layouts from uh, Larry Hama. Larry Hama himself. Um, there was a Dennis Cohen issue. Um, one of the best issues of DC Rebirth, the Chicago issue, where there's the the Deathstroke copycat killer. Yeah. Um, but also the greater DCU just bringing in Batman for a couple issues of really strong uh, character work between Deathstroke and Damien and. Uh, or not Deathstroke and Damien. Um, uh, Rose? Uh, Was it Rose? No. Uh, oh, boy. Well, anyway, you know, I didn't D- Damien bumped up against Deathstroke. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I second-guessed myself there. Um, but And then Superman. That, that two-issue Superman arc was an incredible Superman story that, that got him to really think about truth and justice in a very modern, very American way. (laughs) And, um, and there's no easy answers to any of it. And, and it, it feels like anything that Christopher priest tries with this book ends up working. You know, there's never been an issue where he's pulled a character and it didn't quite work. You know, he's pulled in new 52 power girl, and it's it's totally work. It might be one of the best aspects of the series. Yeah, I was I was gonna say that how I feel like anybody who shows up in the book comes out of it better. Yeah, yeah, and so creeper, fucking creeper, creeper. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, oh, that may be like one of the best single issues to come out of Rebirth. Yeah, maybe one of the best single issues to come out of DC's last decade. Oh, for sure, for sure. I would say that without any reservations. Um, and so like, it should go without saying because he's a modern comics legend, really Christopher Priest is. And yet, like, I'm surprised to find myself saying that I want DC to give him whatever he wants to do, Yep. (laughs) you know? And, and if he leaves Deathstroke, I'll be really sad, but I'll be hopeful that he gets something else to do at DC. And if not, I will be so depressed that. I might quit the show and well he is he is really involved with that Lion Forge 
shared comics universe. Mm. He's like one of the two or three big minds behind that. Okay. So and that's starting up this summer. So that might. Pull so perhaps that's what's going on there too. But yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking how if you took all the Deathstroke issues, he will have done twenty six issues of Deathstroke when all of a sudden none of his twenty five of the regular series and then the rebirth issue. And then there's three other issues that tie into the Lazarus contract when that comes out. And so that'll make essentially a like 30 issue beautiful omnibus. Yeah. And there are worse things in the world than having like a, uh, uh, death stroke by Christopher priest omnibus on my shelf. All right, Zach, Superman. The... I feel like I've been talking a lot. Do you want to take Superman? Sure, I can, I can take Superman. Um, so it, it was, up until the last minute, it was a uh, a flip-flop between this and Deathstroke for number one. But ultimately, I feel like Superman is indicative of all of the things that Rebirth is doing so well. It has... It has made Superman relevant without updating him for the 21st century, and I mean that in the most positive way. Like, every other attempt to update Superman in the past has been, you know, an electric blue suit, or it's been, um, you know, the New 52 version where, you know, he's he's slightly, um, you know, he's just he's younger and he's not... I don't know. I don't know. There's always felt like creators are trying to make Superman something he's not and to make him appeal to others by making him less Superman-like. This went the other way completely. This made him the most Superman he could possibly be. And it's been wonderful. It's been beautiful and it's been fun and it's been touching and it has reinvigorated to me, all of DC. I really think that Superman is the heartbeat of DC. And when Superman is doing well, everyone's doing well. And it has been such a breath of fresh air every week to get that copy of Superman and to say, like, oh, I'm going to read a great comic featuring DC's flagship character. Because think about it. Whether or not the current administration believes that Harley Quinn is the fourth leg of the Trinity... Or, you know, the the, the, the general mouth-breathing public thinking that Batman is the most important DC character. It's Superman. It's going to lose some listeners because of that? Probably. <laughs> uh, but it's always been Superman. Superman is DC Comics. There is no DC... I know DC stands for Detective Comics. But there is no DC Comics as we know it if Superman is not created under the DC roof. And for so long, there's been a caveat next to when you're talking about reading a Superman comic. That's gone now. And that's gone even with Dan Jurgens fucking up action comics every week. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, this book... I mean... So the first arc, I think I maybe wasn't as high on, but everything after that, when we got into kind of the, you know, the little two issue 
kind of monthly one and dones, it just really found its groove, I think. And man, just we haven't had a book like this in a really long time. Um, something that like really captures the, the, you know, the legacy and the history of not just like Superman, but like all of the DCU, you know, we got that really wonderful um, new frontier two-parter where they go to the dinosaur Island. Um, oh yeah. We got the like weird little Frankenstein two-parter. Um, I'm trying to think what other arcs we've had. I don't know. They've just all been so fun and so good. And oh man, Patrick Gleason is just such a great artist. And and you know Doug Monkey as well. But especially, I feel like Gleason has really you know kind of been at the forefront and like shaping the tone of this book. And you know. Tomasi and Gleason together as uh, you know writing they just really get like what makes Superman and, and Lois tick and yeah this book is just it's it's so nice to have a good Superman book again yeah yeah well said well, guys, this was an incredibly long episode for a week where almost no comics came out. <laughs> but that's what we do here at the DC3 cast. So thank you so much for listening. Next week, we are back with a regular show, uh, hopefully a more regular length as well. But until then, you can find the three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is a nap. I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And I'm at SirFox89. And we, we kind of joked about this before, but we have been talking about maybe putting together some sort of uh, Patreon or something of the like to do some bonus content for you guys. And I have some really fun ideas, and we, we talked about some, some fun things earlier tonight. So if that is something you're interested in, just uh, shoot us a, text, a tweet and say, you know, hey, we'd be interested in that maybe. And we'll explore the idea. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. And... Uh, until next time, don't read the Banana Splits comic. Actually, don't read that one. Don't read the Green Lantern Space Coast comic. Yeah, wow, that was... Yeah. <laughs> Man. I changed my mind. I said, I, said, yeah. I said Green Lantern Space Coast. 